Coming at you with another episode of Wizards After Dark. I'm Fred Katz, the host of Wizards After Dark. I cover the Wizards for The Athletic, and I'm here with Scott Agnes, who covers the Pacers. Also, for the wonderful Athletic. Scott, you're now a second-time guest. You're joining an historic group of people. I'm just glad I didn't bomb the first one. Clearly, the people wanted a second episode. Or you bombed the first one so bad. (laughs) That I just like felt going so, on the negative side. I felt on, I felt man. I felt terrible. I'm all positive vibes over here. Yeah. <laughs> so the Wizards lost today. I'm here in Indianapolis. The Wizards lost 105 to 89. No surprise. Uh, second day of back to back. Not just the second game of a back to back, but it was a 5 p.m. start on the road after a 7 p.m. start last night. The game last night goes three overtimes. Was an unbelievable game. If you didn't listen to last night's Wizards After Dark, you're seriously missing out. Because it was just really an all-time episode that matched a great game. What time did it post? Like 3 a.m. by the time the game got over? Legit. But, yeah, we, we, we actually, you know what? I didn't write last night. Okay. So I didn't write off of the game. So some the latest podcast that I recorded this year was probably after the Celtics game. Because they with Jay King and Jay wrote. And Jay was like slow writing. So we didn't podcast till like 1.40 probably. Now it's like 8.20. I'm going to be back in my room before 9 p.m. Yeah. I'm into these 5 p.m. starts. The Wizards are not. I, I thought there was a rule where... Uh, I believe it's 20 hours. It's 20 the, hours. But this, it only factors in the start of the game. So it doesn't matter if it's a quick game and gets over at like two, minute, two hours flat, or it could go three hours and go into triple overtime. Right. I don't like that. Because I think you should have more than... At least 24 hours, right? So yeah. you have a seven, 7 o'clock game like they did last night. I think tonight should have been – now, I wouldn't have liked it or the fans, but should have been 8 o'clock, even pushing 9, but that wouldn't make sense for the fans. Right. From now a fairness standpoint, that's that's the right move. Here's some majorly inside baseball stuff for you. Not that the Widgers are going to lodge a complaint the day before and change a start time. That doesn't happen. At the start of the year, you do that kind of stuff. And you can get start times changed if you think that something is unjust or something like that. If the Wizards retroactively wanted to go to the Players Association and say, hey, just wanted to make you aware of this, just like a thing to talk to the league about when it comes up in the future, which is totally a thing you could do, they don't have somebody to do that. The Wizards do not have no a representative. Pl- they huh? don't have a player rep right now because Jason Smith was their player uh-huh. rep. They traded Jason Smith, and they haven't voted on a new player rep yet. And so they do not yet have a player out for the player association. There's your like super I like that though. There's your super inside baseball stuff. I was trying to think to see if there were that was a story. And I was like, no, no, it's it's not. It's nothing more than the sentence that I just said. Uh, another uh, part of that though I thought was telling was before the game we were asking Nate about it. You know, how much of it is, is an advantage or is this something you try to play faster maybe? Because this isn't an ordinarily a fast team by pace standards and the way the league is getting and instead of giving you kind of the cliche answer, no, we're just going to play ourselves and not worry about the other team, he's like, no, we're absolutely trying to do that. We understand the challenge that they just faced. And now coming here less than 24 hours after they tipped, plus the delay, they're not getting into the wee hours of the morning. Obviously aren't going to get much shoot around. You heard the guys after the game. Fatigue was a factor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Bradley Beal said he didn't want to make excuses, but fatigue was a factor. Thomas Bryant said fatigue was a factor. It's not an excuse. It's totally a reason. If someone punches you in the stomach, if Mike Tyson comes up to you and just punches you in the stomach and then whams you in the face, and then you're like, hey, you know what? 
my face hurts. That's not an excuse. I had trouble seeing because there's yeah. blood in my eye, yeah. but those are my circumstances. That's just like what happens. Yeah. Like Bradley Beal played, played literally more minutes than he ever has in his entire life last night. Career on minutes. Like Trevor Ariza played 50-some on minutes. Jeff Green played 49 minutes. Jeff Green had the greatest non-dunk I've ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> Tonight, yeah. Yeah. And, and I know a lot of people around here were actually at least paying attention. I don't know about watching, but pay attention to last night's game. Once we started seeing Thomas Bryant continue on 10 in a row, 12 in a row, and he got to 14 in a row, obviously he played for Tom Crean down at IU, and IU fans are, are more passionate probably than any fans in this state. So probably more IU fans are watching that than Wizards fans and intrigued by that. True. Uh, but, yeah, the Wizards lose this one by 16, and they played poorly the whole game. And mm-hmm. we're, we're going to talk about the sloppy play, and we're going to talk about John Wall, and we're going to talk about Beals off night after, you know, really a career night and all these sorts of things. But you have to keep the perspective on that. That's not an excuse. Like This is a scheduled loss, if you yeah. want. <laughs> the ultimate definition of a scheduled loss. That all being said, John Wall was not tired from the triple overtime game because John Wall didn't play in the triple overtime game. John Wall tonight, did I say the score? They lost 105-89. to 89. I don't think I said the score. The Wizards lost 105-89. This is, this is good hosting. Uh... Your dedicated fans already know the score. They were watching and following your tweets. That's true. It's 2018. Yeah. They looked at a big box score. They got a Bleacher Report alert or something. The athletic alert, you mean. An athletic alert. Yeah. What's Bleacher Report? I don't know. I don't even know what that is. Uh, John Wall went one for seven in 28 minutes. Uh, Seven turnovers. That was what was striking to me. And, like, Shots will come and go, but the sloppy play. This this also, though, speaks, I will say, to the Pacers' defense a little bit. They're, they have the second-best defense in the league, number one in points allowed, and they held the Wizards to a season-low 89 tonight. Yeah. I mean, John Wall, man, so John, John Wall was sick yesterday. He missed shoot-around. They said he, At shoot-around, they said he was going to play. And then we get to pregame. Scott Brooks talks. He says, actually, it's game-time decision. Then it turns out Wall doesn't play. Sadoransky starts for him because he's not feeling well. Tonight, Wall said, he, Wall said he's good. He said he's got a little bit of a cold, but he had his wind. He's feeling okay. By the way, this reminds me. Did you see the tweet by our colleague, Michael Lee, about all the clutch clients? Yes. Supposedly missing shoot-around yesterday. Yes. Had LeBron, Anthony Davis. Yeah. Both Morrises. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what's, what's going on. Maybe they got a bad shipment for holiday. I don't know, bad holiday package that they all drank the same water. A huge a huge summit is going on. They're yeah. all going to the Lakers. They had a Skype session, actually. Yeah. <laughs> There's some crazy technology. That or they did a FaceTime. Now that you can FaceTime with 32 people, they tried it. And somehow got sick. <laughs> they all ate the same romaine lettuce. And that was what it was. Pacers had a situation recently where Sabonis and Coach McMillan had shrimp in their dinner. And it was down in Orlando. Sabonis missed the game. McMillan barely coached. So they had one of those situations. This the shrimp. It's becoming a gross conversation. This is a really gross This podcast. is what happens when a team totally whips another, considering the circumstances, though it's not that deep. You know what else was um, uncomfortably uh, discharging the ball from John Wall's hands throughout this game? It was slipping out like crazy. Um he was just sloppy. He looked energyless on both sides of the ball. And if it were 2016, I would be here saying John Wall was just sick. 
um, that is a great reason to not play with a lot of energy. Yep. Even if you were sick after the game, it's not in his personality to be like, yeah, I'm just really, really sick, and that's why I did that. He's going to downplay it. That's just what most guys do after. But this is a theme we've seen from Wall. His numbers on the road are terrible. This team is now 4-15 and 15 on the road. They're 4-15 and 15 on the road. I think they're 9-6 and six at home. Uh, do the math. Yeah, 9-6 and six at home, 13-21 overall. So 9-6 and six at home. They're 4-15 and 15 on the road. And Wall's number is he's like 50% from the field on, at home and like under 40 on the road. His true shooting on the road is significantly worse than it is at home. His efficiency numbers, his turnover rate, his assist rate, it's all better at home than it is on the road. You know, he, he talked about the crowd a little bit and how you can get into a hole at home and the crowd will pull you back out of it. Sounds like a dangerous mentality to me. I also am not totally certain that that's his actual mentality and if he's not just kind of like looking for reasons when we ask him why the home road problems. Uh, but it's a problem for them, and it's a problem for him. And this team goes as good as Bradley Beal is, and he's been their best player this year. This team goes as John Wall goes. And when he's dying on screens and not defending and turning the ball over and not getting to the rim and not playing with energy – they have a problem. Generally, I see road games as uh, a test of, non- number one, obviously the talent level you have, but also a mentally tough team that sure can turn on a surge at home games when they do have that crowd behind them. It's one of the reasons the Pacers have those two fan sections. I was just in Brooklyn. They have their, a fan section like that. I think that plays a big role. But if you go on the road and can get those games, that tells me you have a mentally tough and, ch- and uh, veteran-led team that it doesn't matter where the game's played. Yeah, yeah. Beal tonight was kind of a similar thing, but Beal played whatever it was, 55 minutes. But he just he had this one play where he's going to the rim, and Beal's really good at reverse layups with both hands. Oh, yeah. And he has this one reverse where he's going up, mm-hmm. and he hits the bottom of the rim. And it's like that is exactly what happens when you don't have the elevation or the leap to be able to get past the rim where you want to go. Like, that's how I shoot reverse layups. And, like... He's so good at that. And he goes two for 11 today. He only plays 24 minutes because of the blowout. And Brooks already shook up his rotation a little bit. He played an all-bench lineup in the second quarter. Normally he's been playing Beal with the bench, uh, but he pulled Beal at the five-minute marker of the first quarter, which is earlier than normal. He's clearly He clearly came into this with Bradley Beal is not going to play 38 minutes. That was very clearly a goal of his based on his first half rotations. And it's just not smart in December. Like You can't yeah. play guys this minute, especially at his level. Yeah, for sure. Second night of back-to-back, yeah. I mean, and Beal ends up with seven points, and I didn't think his energy was there on either side of the floor. They just looked tired. Schedule loss. You know what my favorite moment of the night was? Thomas See Bryant. Me. <laughs> oh, no? Okay, go on. You know what my second favorite moment of the night was? Thomas Bryant in the first quarter uh, goes for a layup, gets fouled by on the Miles Turner maybe, goes to the ground, layup runs out. I think it was his first shot attempt of the game, not technically shot attempt. And as he's on the floor, he starts making this extremely frustrated face, really pissed the ball didn't go in. He never makes that face. And I'm like relatively certain that Thomas Bryant, after his 14 for 14 night, I th- I'm relatively certain he thought he was never going to miss it. 
<laughs> and then reality set in. Yeah. Huh? And then he was like, oh my god, oh, I missed. I'm like, human. Yeah. I, I, I really thought that he thought that. He actually played, I thought, with some energy tonight. He did. He just didn't play a ton. Yeah. 17 minutes. I thought he looked fine. 11.7 rebounds. I mean, this is a guy that was waived by the Lakers in June. And he, he's getting time. They're playing him and investing in his future. I, I think he, he's done well. If you can get that from Thomas in his second year, you take that all day. So his last two games now, let's do some quick math. He's at his last two games, he's at 42 points and 20 rebounds in 54 minutes played. 17 of 20 shooting. 17 of 20 shooting. I would take that. That's a pretty good 54 minutes of play. That's that's a pretty good 54 minutes of play from a 21-year-old you picked up on the waiver wire. This is something, and I so I tweeted tonight, and this is like, this is a hot take in that it's like kind of ridiculous, like old-school sports writery phrasing, and like it's this totally unprovable concept, and in that it's a stupid comment, but I don't care about looking stupid because I'm on the second half of it back to back too. Uh, I feel like Thomas Bryant found his confidence last night. How could like, you not, though? I think any player would, absolutely. Yeah. And like, being a young player, he needs that. He was doing things in this game. Like, he was getting the ball on the perimeter and not just getting it and saying, okay, do I pass? When he gets the ball on the perimeter, it's, okay, you can see him go through the motion. Do I pass? Do I shoot? Do I dribble? Do I post? Do I dribble handoff? Is you someone coming around the screen? The totally. Yeah. Just like with the majority of young players in the NBA. And tonight there's a play in the third quarter where Thomas Bryant is about 25 feet from the rim and he gets a swing on the perimeter. And not only does he put the ball down immediately, drive left, go to the hoop, and finish on Miles Turner, who is a legitimately good rim protector. Uh, he actually caught the ball on the move. Like, you know, Bradley Beal is excellent at this. He's, he's excellent at, at being alert to when a pass is going to come to him, and he catches the ball when he's already running. Like, he cuts into the pass, you know? And and he did that. I don't think I've ever seen him do that all year. And he had a couple of moments last night in the overtime period on defense, which I talked about on this podcast, where it's like he couldn't have done that two months ago. And I asked Scott Brooks about those pick-and-roll defensive moments pregame. And Scott basically said, no, he couldn't. He's, he's developing. And I thought that was another sign of his development. I, I think he's an NBA player. Like, I don't know how good he's going to be, but he was a second-round pick who got waived after his rookie year. That's not a guarantee you're going to be an NBA player. I think he's an NBA player. Like, I, I think he's going to stick. I would agree with you, and I, I, I understand what the Lakers are doing. They're on a whole different path than the Pacers and the Wizards and what they're trying to do. But especially big men, but more than anything, any guy I always say needs three years in the league. Big men, you might even add another year to that. So to give up on a guy like the Lakers did so soon, I think you're you're seeing a commitment from the Wizards a little bit in the development like Scott Brooks was talking about and a commitment from Thomas from what he's able to do. And little moments like this will be memorable. I think that will be something fun for you to track. For me, recently we had Glenn Robinson III. People may remember him in the dunk contest. He wasn't playing much. He went to that dunk contest, and that was his moment. You know what I wonder? I've never asked Jeff Green this. I wonder why he's never competed in the dunk contest. Jeff Green can dunk, man. Jeff Green, that charge tonight was one of the most magnificent charges 
Like it was great by both sides. Although I get asked, we all get asked a lot. Like if you were a commissioner for a day, what rule would you change? One of my first go tos is the off is the charge. It's I think that was a dangerous play for Jeff Green. That was a very dangerous play for Oladipo to stand in and take that. And we want those players available. We want them to be healthy. So for them, if something would have happened, thankfully it didn't. That's bad for the league. So that's something I would get rid of. Plus, it was a spectacular play, like you said, with Jeff. The ba- the balls on Victor Oladipo to stick those two big balls right in front of Jeff Green, get kicked right in him, and go down hard and take that charge. That was, I mean, he's a tremendous player, and he plays so damn hard all the time. And he's a tremendous defender. He's a great defensive player. But, man, that was like, that took some serious cojones. That was a major, major move. (laughs) He stood in there and accepted it. He stood in there and accepted. That's legit. Like, if Victor Oladipo stood up and was like, okay, I can't feel my whole body. Not an excuse. Just reality. (laughs) Very good point to bring this all full circle. Yeah, that's just reality. Um, anything else we should get to? Actually, you know what? One more the thing I want to bring up. The chance continued. The what? The chance continued from the Pacers fans section while oh, the Wizards chance, were at yeah. the free throw line. So yeah. it's certainly a trend at this point. John Wall hits all of us, apparently. Those continued. They chanted with John Wall at the free throw line. They, they, they chanted, uh, John Wall hates us, which was a stupid chant, I thought. Yeah, Lame. No. Yeah. Trying kinda, to be too funny. I kind of laughed at the the chance through the first quarter or two, but it does wear on you a little yeah. bit, doesn't it? Well, John John Wall hates you is like that's fine. A lot of fan bases have done that, but but Channing John Wall hates us when John Wall's at the free throw line takes away the venom of the John Wall hates yous. Like the fact that you're making a self deprecating chant about it all and, and 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 turning it into a meta thing. They want it in on the fun, is what they want. Yeah, it's like, no, you can't have a self-deprecating chant like that that takes away all of, like, the verve of the, mm-hmm. of the John Wall hates you chants. Now everyone's going to be like, we don't, we don't care anymore. It's a terrible idea. Awful idea. No one in, like, the Coliseum 2,000 years ago was, was chanting self-deprecating chants. Not ferocious at all. Disappointed in you, Indiana. You're better than this. You're much better than this. Uh, anything? Any? Oh, you know what? There's well, one thing I, I got to. From a Pacers side, yeah. we should mention Miles Turner. What he what he was able to do. He had, has killed the Wizards. He's been a beast. Not only tonight, 18 points, career high, 17 rebounds. But his last three weeks have been phenomenal for most of your Wizards fans who probably haven't been watching. He's been playing really well. He's having a great rim protecting season. I was looking at number one in the league in blocks now, total blocks, and and his uh, percentage on I think it was Chris Herring was talking about this on the low post, and I was looking at the numbers, his percentage on uh, field goals contested at the rim mm-hmm. is fantastic. It's a big conversation I've had just off the record, even with guys just chatting uh, about what that means to them, and it, it means so much because if they get beat by their guy, they know. They got that last line of the fence. They have that safety net in miles, so they can actually play their guy tighter, knowing he's got their back, literally. Yeah, he's been he's been great this year. I, I'm honestly, I think the Pacers are, are a really good team, and they have a really interesting future because a lot of these guys are locked up for a little while, 
and they need another star though what they need. Yeah, but genuinely one of the most interesting storylines in the Eastern Conference. I mean, I guess the number one most interesting storyline is is Kawhi going to stay. <laughs> number two is like, is Giannis going to stay the year after that? But Boston, are they going to get Anthony Davis? Right. But honestly, right up there, I don't know if it's top five or top seven or whatever, is what are the Pacers going to do about Miles Turner and DeMontis Sabonis? Because they're both really damn good. Well, for now, they've decided on Miles. They gave him that contract extension. They picked up Sabonis' option for next year. But do you use one of them in a trade? Do you try to play them both for another couple of years? That's going to be awfully tough, especially if the league remains as it is today, although it values kind of their type of big man, not the traditional five. Yeah, and look, like, Sabonis is wildly efficient. I was talking to him pregame because I covered him in Oklahoma City. And I was talking to him pregame when we were catching up. And he's a he's a man of few words. He's very short. He's a very quiet guy. Very very sweet guy. And uh, I said something along the lines to him of like, you know, I watch you because I like watching the Pacers. They're I think they're one of the most fun teams in the league to watch. And I said to him like, I watch you guys a lot. I've never seen you miss a shot. And he said, No, man, you're, now you jinxed me. And I did jinx him tonight. Sabonis was totally off. Yeah. He was six for seven. He finally missed a shot. I can't say he have never seen him miss a shot anymore because he was six for seven, and he only had fifteen and ten in twenty-five minutes. So shame on Demontis Sabonis for only putting up like twenty-one and fourteen for thirty-six, which is probably about his averages anyway. Uh, I just think it's super interesting because those two guys are best at the five, and uh, and the Pacers don't. An interesting part of it too is like the Pacers don't because they've got Turner signed for the extension. Because Sabonis is still on his rookie deal, uh, and because they got years beyond that, because they have the ability to match on any restricted deal when he gets restricted free agency, the Pacers don't have to make a decision for a really long time. They can just string this out. They have all the leverage. If somebody comes in and loves Sabonis or loves Turner, wants to blow them out of the water, they could be like, great, let's do it. Or they can just hold on. Like, the pressure is not there, which is why I think it's a really interesting front office situation like they don't have to win right now Victor Oladipo is in the early part of his prime like Miles Turner is young and Sabonis is young and like you know Darren Collison is a nice point guard but that's a replaceable player like five five of the Pacers rotational guys are in contract years right now so that's that's also the other maybe more interesting part is what do they do with guys like Boyan Bogdanovich what do they do at their point guard when you have Darren Collison and Corey Joseph both Entering your, uh, they're in their contract years, and you got Aaron Holiday, who requires time on the court. He's just been that good. Yeah, he's good. It's holiday season for a reason, my friend. And they used to have Raheem Christmas. I tweeted that. Too. I know. I, thought, <laughs> I was like, only you would bring that up. I was really excited. I've really dug deep to my Pacers references to bring up <laughs> Raheem Christmas. Guess what number he is? I'm gonna guess 25. You are correct. That's great. Good for him. Rakeem Christmas used to wear... I got uh, another connection for you. Yeah. He's engaged to, to Michael Jordan's Jordan. daughter. Yeah. yeah. It's great. I, he used to wear a sweatshirt around the Syracuse campus. I'm trying to remember what it was. And I think... Oh, he would... He got sweatshirts made up, like multiple sweatshirts made up that just had his Twitter handle on them. And he would walk around campus just wearing sweatshirts with his Twitter handle. Smart branding. Amazing branding. Because that would have been many years ago when Twitter was getting rolling. Yeah. 
I yeah. like it. That was probably like. Who paid for those? Did he get tattooed? No, I'm just kidding. We don't need to go down that road. <laughs> was it Jordan Gear? Official Jordan provider. One, one more thing that I do need to bring up because it's worth it. That Chase Randall is still in the rotation, and Ron Baker, after two games with the Wizards, is still in the rotation, and Troy Brown is not. And I don't think there is any scenario in the near future that Troy Brown ends up getting in the rotation. And it is super interesting that with Otto Porter out, and that with Sadoransky having so much success as a backup one for them, that Scott Brooks has continued to push Sadoransky off the ball, whether in first units when he plays him at the three behind, or next to Wallen Beal, or in second units now when he plays him as an off-ball guy and he plays Randall at one and, and uses Randall as a ball handler and pick-and-roll guy and all that in second units. And Troy Brown hasn't had the start. And we've asked about Troy Brown a bunch of times, and the answer with Troy Brown is just like, Brooks clearly doesn't think he's ready. He uses the word ready every single time. We ask him about this. He just doesn't think he's ready. Jordan Brown's 19 years old. He's one of the youngest rookies in the league. And uh, I think that's fair. He said he doesn't think he's ready to play point guard. But I always thought that was a weird answer because Sadoransky would be the point guard. He could play Troy Brown as the off-ball guy. And I don't know. I just, from reading Scott and from reading what Scott says, I, I don't get any impression that Troy Brown is on the verge of jumping Ron Baker or Chasem Randall, both of whom were not on the Wizards a week ago, uh, jumping either of those guys, or Sam Decker, jumping any of those guys in the rotation. Uh, so I'm just throwing that out there because I know a lot of people have asked about Troy Brown, and he was the first-round pick and the 15th pick in the draft this year, and they're reasonable questions. So I'm throwing that out there too. Um, anything else? No, I think that's about it. Well, we said we were going to go 15 minutes, and we went the same amount of time again. <laughs> You want to uh, plug your stuff? Yeah, just check me out on The Athletic. Plug your Blitz. Yeah, Blitz package coming out. I wrote about Thad Young, and uh, the thing that appeals to me about him is he work, goes through pregame warm-ups 60 minutes before every game, and before home games, his two kids are right there, dribbling a basketball, watching him, usually wearing Thad Young apparel. And so I wrote about how he uh, is determined and is focused on involving family in his NBA life, even if that means – his wife joins him for a road trip or bringing his kids along or what have you. Um, even this past summer when he had a player option, his kids knew all about it, and so he shared a lot about all of that. So it was a fun piece to write. So I, uh, I'll explain, I guess, the Blitz stuff. So what we're doing Christmas Eve day and Christmas at The Athletic is I think every beat writer is doing it, right? And not even beat writers. I think some columnists are doing them, and yeah. uh, every beat writer and more are doing, we call them blitz packages. It's basically like sweeps week, like our equivalent of sweeps week. Uh, we're all, we all, each kind of the beat writers. Around yeah. the central theme usually, not yeah. necessarily in this case. Yeah, so each of the beat writers come together, and we, we work on an in-depth story that we've been working on for a long time. Now, full disclosure, for the people who really want the inside baseball stuff on journalism, my story was on Kelly Oubre and then got railroaded when Kelly Oubre got traded. So I had to come up with something new. So my story is going to be on, if you listen to this podcast regularly, you will know that I've gone on my Jeff Green rants. And uh, my story is on Jeff Green. And basically the types of players who fans tend to rag on and players think are awesome and Bradley Beal has compared him to LeBron James 
and I talked to John Wall about the comparisons, and I talked to Beal about his previous comparison to that, and I, I talked to all these guys about kind of their their comparisons to that, that they make for Jeff Green, and uh, I'll give you the hint on this. The quotes, I thought the quotes were awesome. Like John was great for this piece, and Brad was so enthusiastic. Brad, Bradley Beal loves Jeff Green. Uh, he was so enthusiastic about this piece, and working with those guys for this was was really great, and I thought it made the piece turn out really well. So I think this is a fun one. I talked to some other guys around the athletic and asked them what they're working on, and girls, and like I think Gina Mizell's sounds awesome. These and are all like, fun. It's one of those that you don't have to read them all at once. Like give yourself some time because it's a lot at once. Yeah, there can be like thirty time. pieces. Like yeah. it's and they're all kind of evergreen stuff. It's just gonna right. mine's a little bit less of an evergreen. Yours is totally one. Mm-hmm. Like, most of them are that. Like, my Uber thing would have been that. Like, Here's a tease for mine. Yeah. If his wife isn't at home overnight, he sleeps on the couch. He says it's weird, Thad Young does, to sleep in bed without her. No way. Yeah. They both told me that without me asking about it. So I thought that was telling. Wow. Yeah. He also wow. has over a thousand shoes, but that's a whole nother story. That is wild. Pairs of shoes. <laughs> To clarify. So he has over 2,000 yeah. shoes. That's Isn't crazy. that ridiculous? How many socks does he have? There's a follow-up question. Yeah. <laughs> How many socks does he have? Probably not that many, honestly. Well, I'd imagine he doesn't have a 1,000. How many rooms does he have for his shoes? He has them in his indie house, his Memphis condo, his Brooklyn condo, and a storage unit. Storage unit for shoes. I have one closet. <laughs> He's like the Carrie Bradshaw of the NBA. Yeah. All right. On uh, on that note, I am wrapping up. Check out the Blitz stuff on the Athletic tomorrow and on Christmas. Happy holidays to everybody. Merry Christmas to everybody, regardless of what you celebrate. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, this has been awesome. I am off for the next two days. Uh, I'll have that Jeff Green story up on Monday morning. I'll be back on. Wednesday, I'm not going to be at the Detroit game, but I will be podcasting after it, as always. I'm always podcasting after the games, as you guys know. Go on iTunes, subscribe to Wizards After Dark, give us a five-star rating if you're feeling really generous. It's it's the giving season, so if you want to give a five-star rating, that would be really great. Uh, if you want to leave the reviews, like I always say, the reviews like are like weirdly more helpful than you would imagine on on the iTunes stuff so that would be awesome if you could do that too if you've enjoyed it so far Uh, and uh, I'll be back on Wednesday I'll talk to you guys then